right. Well, welcome back to another episode of Opening the Box of Knowledge. I think we're calling this Season 2. We've taken a little bit of a hiatus. Our friend and partner, Kachung, is out in the world touring with Bumyao. And so I think uh, with his busy schedule, we'll see uh, Kachung here and there still. But uh, we still have the amazing sound man, Sam helping uh there how you doing sam good what's happening happy to be back all right on hey sam what's new with you since the last time we recorded uh well i'm now a married man <laughs> so um got married a few weeks ago and um president peterson was kind enough to uh officiate for us so <laughs> yeah that was pretty awesome we uh got to go all the way to durango colorado uh, I was telling Sam, I took pictures and it kind of looked like it was photoshopped because all the fall colors and everything looked so vibrant. It was pretty crazy. It's one of those scenes where the bride come walking down the aisle, so to speak, and I looked over to the groom and he was almost sobbing like a baby. <laughs> I think I held it together pretty good. <laughs> Pretty okay. I think you were very uh, excited to see your bride. Yeah, awesome. it, it was awesome. Sam and Sabrina Grubitz. It's pretty awesome. And I was very honored to be asked to be in that and included. And uh, thanks, Sam. Absolutely. Thank you. Congratulations Thank on you. being an honest man. <laughs> yeah. No, that was great. And man, what a good party. You guys know how to party. Yeah. It was, uh, I, I like to say we. We planned and prepped for a 10-day party, and we, we pulled it off pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So a lot's been happening since our, our last episode, and we're just back, and we're going to start trying to get on a regular schedule again. we got some really exciting guests with us. And, uh, you know, in my work life, I get to travel and meet a lot of different people, and then just people I happen to know and friends with and have conversations and kind of remind everybody that opening the box of knowledge is really just that. Uh, we like to open the box and have conversations with cool people doing cool things and really trying to bring some positive into the world where a lot of people, unfortunately, are becoming really negative. And we think there's some pretty spectacular folks out there. And one of those is a guy I've met a few years ago and we keep running into each other, and he's he's pretty amazing and doing some cool things in, in the world that I am. And uh, he's got his own podcast now that we'll ask him to talk a little bit about. He's also very intrigued with Guardians. And Guardians is a program that our Clinton Haida has started doing and has been really something we've been watching our brothers and sisters of First Nations and British Columbia doing for a number of years and we wanted to emulate. So we're excited today to have with us Warren Jones and Warren's here with us. How are you doing Warren? Good, thank you. It's exciting to finally sit down. Warren uh, lives in Anchorage but flew down to Juneau and wanted to do this in person and I don't think I've had that before. So I'm pretty flattered and now I feel like there's some pressure on us. Yeah. So, Warren, just tell me a little bit about yourself and what you're up to. Yeah, my name's Warren Jones. Uh, my Yupik name is Magak. Uh, my family on my mom's side comes from Hooper Bay. Uh, my family on my biological dad's side comes from Nanana, originally from the Fort Yukon area. 
Um, I was adopted, though, uh, into an Inupiaq family, so I mostly grew up in Nome, uh, primarily around Inupiaq people and Yupik people. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, I, we're just talking, Warren's son is at Mount Edgecombe High School. I went to Mount Edgecombe, so I know, usually know somebody from almost every area and, and village throughout Alaska. and had a lot of friends in, from Nome. We just hosted Ock Rock down here, which Kachung is a big, big hand in. And uh, I was sitting there, and one of my classmates and former roommates, Boogles Johnson, uh-huh. Was there? Do you know Boogles? Yeah, yeah, I, I grew up uh, with him. Yeah, we were roommates. He, he, he beat me up one time. So. <laughs> uh, well, sorry about that. Yeah, I'm not, I don't <laughs> actually remember if he's the one. Like, just remember that older kids used to bully me, and he's one of them. We're friends now. Yeah, we're, you know, yeah. just just kid stuff. I, I think we all went through that. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I'm sure, guilty of it myself a time or two. But yeah, I got to see uh, Boogles and his wife, and they were jamming out to all the great acts at Ock Rock and. Just kind of looked over, and there's this guy with a really cool seal hat on, and looked at each other, big hugs, and really excited to see each other. Yeah, it was awesome. And I understand you're good friends with uh, Kachung and his wife, Joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I met Joy at the same time that I met Heather, because uh, uh, her sister Heather and I went to school at UAA at the same time. Okay. And became good friends with Heather, primarily just because she really loved my kids and would be walking around with them all the time. And everybody thought that she was my wife because <laughs> we'd be together all the time and she'd always be holding my babies. And it's like, no, this is not my wife. This is my friend Heather. She just loves my kids, you know. Heather, um, who's, uh, she is a very dear friend of mine as well. My mom's basically adopted her as her other kid. And yeah, it's funny how small our native world is. No, totally. Alaska's, it's like one of the, it's one of the strengths of our state too, just cause it's like such a big state, but it's so small. So like you can accomplish things, I think in this state that would be harder to accomplish in other states, right. you know? And especially even, you know, you were talking about like Edgecombe and like meeting people from all over the state. You know, that's definitely one of the advantages I see to like schools like that is like the community that creates across the whole state, you know, and that reminds me of like, even though, you know, there was a million bad things about the boarding school era, but uh, one of the things that the the folks that, you know, some of the folks that era talk about, you know, was just that the connections that it created all across the state, you know, even though they were all forced together to come together under a bad thing, you know, that the connections and community that was created is last to this day. Yeah, you know, that generation I consider elders now, um, they all went to school together, you know, whether it be SJ or Wrangell Institute or even down south in Chamawa. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, I know Mike Williams from Akiak and some of his best friends are guys from Heidelberg because yeah. they went to school together. It, it's really true. I, I just testified uh, Secretary Holland and Assistant Secretary Brian Newland were here in Alaska and they're doing this, uh, I think it's called uh, Healing Road or Road to Healing, where they're taking testimony on the boarding school era. Mm. And when I got up and said that, I said, I'm not a, I don't feel like a boarding school survivor, even though I went to boarding school because it was a different era. Yeah. So my experience is different, even though my grandmother went to Wrangell Institute, and that's where kind of the trauma comes from in our family. But yeah, those folks were so tied together. and. I feel like my generation, we were tied together like that too, but without all the kind of physical abuse and, and the bad yep. things. Yep. Yeah. 
you know, I remember a long time ago, I went to a, a panel with a bunch of boarding school survivors and they were talking about their experience. And I was so, uh, when I walked away from that, like hearing about their experiences, like it really reminded me a lot of Marine Corps boot camp, the way that they described it. You know, but this is for kids, right? Like yeah. Marine Corps boot camp, something that you go to, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you choose to go there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're choosing this for yourself. and You're choosing and while still young, you're still an adult. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's probably the break you down to build you back up thing. Yeah. And that's what. And, and it was really good at that because I remember, you know, when I went through boot camp, one of my friends was teasing me about it just because it, it, I mean, it totally worked. You know, they think they break, break you down and build you back up in the image that they want, you know, and in the case of the boarding schools, you know, it's like they're trying to break you down for that, your indigeneity and then build you back up in the image of the white man, you know. Yeah. Um, but those school is, it's just crazy to think about it just because like I, you know, harp on a lot that I don't like even calling them boarding schools just because I feel like the name is too innocuous, you yeah. know, because it's like, I mean, these were literally like, like forced child re-education camps. Yes. You know, yeah, I went to a boarding school. Yeah. I, I didn't go to like a concentration yes. camp. And yeah. It's really hard to hear. You hear elders like Jim LaBelle and, yeah. and Fred John so share their stories. And to me, that's what it sounds like is kind of like what maybe the Jewish people experienced a little bit maybe not as bad obviously but maybe it is um there's hundreds and hundreds of babies who never came home yeah no there's 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 very clear similarities i think between the two experiences you know but for sure i don't know i do think in a lot of ways like i think of my not not necessarily as a boarding school survivor but because my parents and all my aunts and uncles that went to boarding schools you know like they Oh, I hate to say that it like stunted their, stunted their development or something like that, you know what I mean? But you can really see the people that went through the worst like trauma and abuse and how it's like manifested in their life now, you know, where they don't like, they were at school when you would be shown how to parent, not yeah. told how to parent, you know what yeah. I mean? Like my kids see the way that I parent, you know, and that they learn from those things rather than. It's something I'm going through in my own family. I have amazing parents. But, you know, products of that. And I didn't understand things when I was a kid. And my parents were pretty amazing in that they were really good, present parents. Yeah. They didn't have that. And they had to learn and break those cycles for themselves. And that's kind of incredible, too. And, yeah. You know, you're, we're going down this path on boarding schools I didn't yeah. expect. <laughs> and that's, that's what I love about this. But, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, these kids were taking to the schools and, and went through the things they went through. But do you ever think about that vacuum left behind in the villages where they didn't have the kids and that maybe that stunted them too? Yeah, I imagine it had to. I mean, this is like one of the things that, I mean, I think about it when I think about the boarding school era, you know, I, I um, think about it for myself. You know, I'm like, what would it be like if my kids were all taken away from me right now? you know, and that I had no choice in it, you know, and like what what sort of vacuum is are saying would that leave in my life? Because it's huge. Like even now, just like traveling here, I miss my kids. Right. And you know, like, two days. yeah, you yeah. know, and that that was completely different, you know, like you're saying, and a lot of them didn't come back, you know. Well, it was a pretty effective act of cultural genocide. Yeah. I think, you know, our our cultural practices, our customs, our, our, our beliefs, our religion kind of were stymied by that because there was this whole generation of kids taken away, 
put into Christian boarding schools and said, this is how you're going to be. We're going to break you down until this is how you are. And then you have the communities left behind and they have nobody to kind of assume the mantles or learn, yeah. or, or you know, to be who we are. They didn't have anybody to pass it on. And then they were told passing it on to your kids is wrong. Yeah. You know, so all these things, it's pretty... Yeah, and that's why, you know, I mean, it's going to take a lot of work to, like, reverse all that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I don't know if that we ever will be able to completely, you know, it's like the the process of colonization, I think, was more effective than people give it credit for sometimes, you know? Like, well, I mean, we're still, you know what I mean? Like, we're doing really well. Um, and there's certainly a resurgence, you know, and I feel like that with this resurgence, it's even bigger than just us because we're we're remembering who we are, but the knowledge that we bring is important for the world. I feel like a future episode needs to be around this whole topic right there. I've, I've been doing some reading, and in our culture, we talk about how our um, it's passed down. It's in us. It's in our... And, and now, Western science is showing that memories actually pass down in DNA. Yeah. And so it really validates all those ideas of gener intergenerational trauma. But I have to think, okay, if all the bad things could be passed down in our DNA, can't all the good things? Yeah. And this summer we had the Hawaiians visit with the Hokulea. And to me that was kind of part of my speech to them is like you're reawakening this forgotten knowledge. Yeah. And I think it, it comes back yeah. because it's there. Something feels strong and right and drives you and those things. Whenever I delve into my culture, um, I always feel like somehow I knew this already. Yeah. And I've never been able to understand that. And I don't need Western science to validate us. Yeah. But it is interesting that they are. Yeah. Yeah, I think they can be, to me, I mean, I use them in tandem um, you know, the, for the, especially like the philosophy work that I'm doing, I should give a little bit of background on that since I'm just, yeah. I don't want to just like jump right into it. But, um, when I got out of the military, I started going to school, um, at, uh, first in Washington and then transferring to UAA, but I was studying political science. Um, at the time I had uh, aspirations of going into politics, but then the more that I learned, the less I was interested. Um, However, I still really enjoyed learning about it. And because of the uh, schedule that I had to keep, especially during the last two years of school, my focus was on primarily political philosophy. So we read a lot of Western philosophers, you know, and the philosophers that informed the founding fathers about, you know, like how we structured our society and our government and stuff like that. And like, it was great because as I was like reading all these, uh, you know, these basically like they're Western elders, you know what I mean? Like Plato right. and like all that, like they're the Western elders, right? You know, and like reading their ideas and thoughts and seeing the way that it like shapes the world that we live in and, and seeing like the direct link between their thinking and writing and between the founding fathers and like the creation of our country. But I kept like disagreeing with them. You know what I mean? Like, okay, that's cool. I get it. Yeah. I don't think that's right though. You know right. what I mean? Like our own people had our own way of doing things that, that, that seems valid to me. You know, that makes more sense to me. Right. You know. Um, well, it's amazing when you think about American history and, and our governance because it is actually based on Native American. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, I'm not super clear on, like, I haven't done the reading on that one, but I've heard that a bunch, you know, that they modeled a bunch of the American government after the Iroquois Confederacy. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say it was Yeah, there. and there's a, even um, even in American philosophy, I, was a, I haven't read this one yet, um, but it talks about, like, you know, he's trying to make a link between, like, indigenous philosophy and, like, uh, American philosophy and pragmatism, just because, like, so much of our, like, culture has influenced uh, American culture in ways that aren't, aren't that obvious you know what I mean but we're here and we've been here and we've definitely played a role in the in the history and the mystique and everything like that like we're in the constitution right. you know what I'm saying right. like yeah well I mean I guess not us because our contact didn't come till much later but right. but Native Americans yes yeah yeah so Warren you kind of go down this path that's I'm really curious about you and your history the little bit I know so you went into the Marines how long were you in the Marines you went into to college in Washington what brought you back home to Alaska yeah, I was in the Marines for four years. Um, I was, uh, previous to that, um, was didn't really know what I was doing with my life. I had dropped out of high school and went to college. Um, we ended up moving to Seattle. I worked for Pike Place Fish there. I had planned on going to school there at first. Uh, never happened, just mostly partied and hung out and enjoyed Seattle. Um, while I was living there, my sister was in the Marine Corps and she had just graduated from boot camp and we went down there for her graduation and uh, just looked like something I was interested uh, interested in. And it's funny because everybody's like, so did you, like, why did you join? You know, did you, you know, because you loved your country because like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, it's mostly for the adventure. Yeah. You know, because I joined the Marine Corps Infantry um, also. And that was because it was like, I could have gotten whatever job I wanted in the Marine Corps, basically, you know, could have gotten Intel or linguistics or something like that. But I wanted to join the infantry because it was for the adventure. You know, like there's no other place where you're going to get to shoot rocket launchers and throw <laughs> grenades and stuff like that and for it to be illegal. I mean, I guess you could do it in Vegas now, right? You that's, know, why but, you like, know, that's why I like fireworks. Yeah, well, it's, you know, and um, so I, I spent four years there and that's where I met my wife um, at, at a party in Los Angeles. And at the end of my uh, enlistment, we were... I wouldn't say we were dating so much as just booty calls, right? But we really liked each other. And then when I got out of the Marine Corps and uh, went back to Anchorage, um, we kept like a long distance relationship. And uh, eventually we just decided that we just wanted to live with each other. And then we moved to Seattle first, um, where I, I kept going to school there at Shoreline Community College. Um, we lived there for like three years, had our first son in uh, Seattle. Um, and then the place that she was working for at the time actually had a job opening in Anchorage. And um, I liked living in Seattle. I was fine with it, yeah. you know, but then I was like thinking like I'd really wanted to go back to Alaska. And I was like, it'd be so much easier to have kids with my parents around to help us and things like that. And right. that like, you know, especially Anchorage, like she's a she's a L.A. girl, you know, like her, both her parents are from Argentina, uh, from Rosario. Um, they met in at also at a party in L.A., um, and so it was just like, you know, <clears throat> when we, <laughs> that was part of the reason why when we left, you know, we were just like, uh, I had no interest in staying in LA and she had no interest in coming to Alaska. Um, and so we compromised on Seattle, but we ended up in Anchorage and now she totally loves it. Um, yeah. And I finished up my school here. Um, that's where I ended up, uh, at a, I think first was an internship with First Alaskans Institute where I first met Liz Medicine Crow and like they've been hugely like instrumental in, in a bunch of the stuff that I've done like since then. Started off as an intern. Oh. I was the, the governance fellow there for a little while. Um, I, I think that's when you started coming into my orbit. Yep. orbit. I saw you at things and First Alaskans I've been a big supporter of and worked with them for years and Liz is my sister from yep. another mister. She's amazing. She's one of my best friends, so. 
Yeah, she, I, I love her because she loves me despite myself. You know, like they, <laughs> I can relate to yeah. that statement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When we were, uh, when I like, they, she'd sent me, um, asked me to go down for uh, the First Nations Futures program. So that's the cohort, you know, with yeah. the yep. with the Maori and the Native Hawaiians and Native Alaskans with Stanford there. And while I was down there, you know, like before I was in the, even in the Marine Corps, I was a commercial fisherman. Um, I, not a huge amount, you know, for like four years or something like that. I did uh, two years down in Bristol Bay and then two, two seasons uh, here in Southeast. Uh, one out of, both out of Ketchikan. Uh, first oh. year I fished out of the, the Rebel and then the second year I fished with John Carl on the Pacific Lady. Oh, yeah, um, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, well, anyways, where I was going with that, though, is that, like, I can be very crass and cuss a lot, you uh -huh. know, and, and especially when I'm drinking, which I don't currently drink. But when I do, I do cuss a lot. And so we were there at Stanford and we're hanging out with all these really, really fancy people. And I'm just being myself. And one of the other participants pulled me aside and he's like, he's like, hey, you know, you should remember who you're representing while you're here and whatnot. You know, I was like, yeah, well, I don't think First Alaskan Institute is under any illusions about me. <laughs> you know, like they know exactly who I am and they know exactly who they sent. And it was great, though, because like all those, uh, all those Stanford people really love me. You know, like yeah. they, they're just like, all right, cool. It's a real person. You mm -hmm. know, like they, they didn't really care. Yeah. Well, I think our, that's the great thing about that program is it's indigenous fellows, right? It's yep. people who we're just authentically ourselves. I find that our indigenous cultures, as different as we are from different places in the world, we have very succinct commonalities. Yeah, we do. Um, I also cuss like a sailor. I really work on not um, because, you know, one, my day job. But I grew up around fishermen and loggers around yep. my community. And so the F-bomb is not a bomb with me. It just kind of free flows. Um, but I work on that because it's yeah. like a fancy exclamation point, you know, like it really, right? yeah, you know, it's just nice. sprinkled liberally throughout the conversation. You say, Fuck. And it just, yeah. you know, whatever the situation, it makes sense and everybody understands it. Yeah. So no, it's, it's good. Yeah. And I think, uh, Liz is the last person who's going to judge people based oh, on no, for sure. how they bring their authentic selves. Yeah. She's the one who's going to tell you, just be you. Yep. And that's what she's always said, you know, just tell, just tell me to bring whatever I'm bringing to you know, the work that I'm doing. And that's what I do. So you were at first Alaskans and then where did you go from there? Um, I mostly haven't been working much at all in the last like decade or so. Um, mostly just been doing uh, work on my own, especially since it's like philosophy work and it's hard to get people to pay you for that kind of stuff. Um, even though I have now found somebody who is willing to pay me for doing philosophy Um which is great, but so my wife was the one that was working all those years, and I just was staying at home um, working on various things. And you know, now at this point, I have like work that spans a huge amount of stuff that I've been working on over the last decade. So. Well, and raising kiddos, right? Yep, yep. And that was the primary job uh, for me at that time was was the kids. You know, so I'd take them to school and make them lunch and do all that sort of stuff. And so I was like the stay at home parent, which I actually talk about that a little bit in my philosophy too. Um, you know, that that was a huge part of what I consider my education, you know, just that like doing that job. Um, well, number one, me in that role as a man, like I got so much accolades and kudos, whereas women get no recognition for it whatsoever. But like doing that job for what was it like 13 years? Like it was so much work. It's, it's actually more work than a lot of jobs that I've had, you know, and it's such an underappreciated like role. 
yeah. you know, in our society. And like, cause, cause like raising kids is honestly one of the most important or maybe the most important thing that we do as human beings, because, you know, everything that we do is premised on continuing, you know, like we're, we're like, you know, we're creating a better world, not just for ourselves, but for pe people in the future. Right. And so like putting child rearing, like so low on the hierarchy of importance and values is a big mistake, right? Like, like when we were just talking about the boarding school generation, that's like when you're the most impressionable, that's when you learn the most and it's not from people telling you how to be. No, it's showing you. Yeah, it's demonstrating and showing, yeah. right? You know, and this is like for, like, it's like I talk about this all the time, especially like me as a young man, you know, that I was socialized just like every other man in America and every way that I was shown about like how to talk to and treat women was not a good example, you know? No, it's, you. we talk about like unlearning from the boarding schools, kind of that, you know, I think masculine toxicity or, or those things get thrown around a lot now, but I also think they need to be. Yeah. Um, certainly didn't understand it. And growing up in that era of like, what you turn on TV and see things like the A-Team and Magnum P.I. and go back and watch those shows now. Yeah. And it's incredibly horrible. It's so cringe. It, it like, is very cringe. It is exactly right. I, I watched those and I was like, wow, I loved this as a kid. And I'm like, how they talk about women, mm -hmm. you know, that wasn't really an LGBTQA uh, thing back then. But Mr. T, could, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he was very much had the, the, the look. Yeah. yeah, all the bling. Yeah. No, it's crazy, though, to hear and watch those things now, and it's from our childhood. And that framework and how that foundation was set for us is pretty bad. And, you know, I think, you know, we're pretty polarizing today and whether you're woke or this or that. Yeah. But um, if woke just means that, like, you're intelligent and you can learn and evolve and change, I'm woke. Yeah. You know, because holy cow... Um, yeah, it is very cringeworthy to go back and watch some of that. It is, and it's good It's good to kind of, like, be able to see your development and see, like, where you've come from, you know. I mean, now, you know, there's a lot of people in our community that, you know, will view me as, like, this really great, like, native guy, native dad, and blah, 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 and, you know, and which is true to a certain extent, you know, but I was almost like, yeah, but if you knew me in my 20s and 30s, you know, like, in that Same. part, you know, you probably wouldn't like me as much as you do now, you know, and that, like, but being able to see that development, to me, is good in a couple ways. Like, number one, it's good to see how far you've come, but also, like, a good reminder that, you know, as we move forward, especially in our communities, that we've got so many broken and dysfunctional people in our communities and that we can't just throw them away. You know what I mean? Like you got to make a room for growth and development, but we, you got to provide the spaces for that. You can't just expect it, you know? You know, there's something about you that as soon as I met you, the, in the few times I've been around you, I felt drawn to. I think it's it's that statement there, you know, that, that. I went through some life, you know, I have real lived life experiences and made a lot of mistakes and I was celebrated for things, you know, I was 19 and mayor. Yeah. Uh, and I always tell people, but yeah, I shouldn't have been. I made a lot of mistakes. I, you know, but, and you know, I fell pretty hard. I, I got into drugs and to kind of soothe some of those aches and things that happen in life. And, but I, really treasure that people gave me the opportunity 
to heal and get better and do better. And your statement really resonates with me because at a point in my life where I was at my lowest, I made a real active decision to be a better person, to yep. do better, you know, and I lean into those things. I, I, I really feel that with you. Yeah. And I think especially, yeah, I mean, it, it just, to me, it just, it just makes sense because like I said, like we, if we were to get rid of and to just throw away the people, especially the way the Western system does, right? You know what I mean? Like we, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is like, initially I started a lot of this work on the men's house, like the Kajgi, like a, a traditional institution that existed in our culture. And it was the place where like the men, like uh, it was the central institution in Yupik culture, right? Like it was right. like the defining aspect of a community that if a place didn't have a men's house and it wasn't even considered a community, it would be like a hunting camp or a fishing camp or something like that, right? And this place was like the place where you were just taught, like where, this is where men were taught how to be men and indigenous masculinity does not look the same as Western masculinity, you know what I mean? Like it's not like that, you know, the McKees go hyper-masculinity and stuff like that. Like, like indigenous masculinity was all about like things like self-control, you know, right. that like, and to me, that's such a big one, especially thinking about young men today. You know what I mean? Like think about how important that like teaching self-control is, right? Yeah. You know, and this is not something that I was taught and not something that I was good at. And then this is like the root of a lot of the evil that I did in the world is like not having good self-control, not having good self-awareness. You know, I was super, what's the word I'm looking for? Like narcissistic, you know what I mean? I was only concerned with myself, right? You yeah, know, and, yeah. and like it makes sense, right? Like I, I understand that like the world and the everything that I grew up in kind of sort of created me, you know, in a way. Um, but yeah, you, you, it has to be room, right? But, you know what I mean? And like, I think that especially when you come from that place, you know, where you come from the place where from the bottom and like, you know, kind of build yourself back up, you learn lessons that you can't learn any other way. And it, and I think that, like, for me, it's a lot of, like, empathy and sympathy for people. Because I'm going, like, hey, yeah. you know, I'm not perfect, man. Like, I can't judge you for the exact same things that I've done, like, 30 times in my life, you know? I, I love this so much. Um, those are the words I use. I didn't have empathy. I didn't have sympathy. I had to learn them. Yeah. Um, I also felt very narcissistic, you know, more... Not at the time, but in retrospect, right? When I look back at who I was, I was very narcissistic. Yeah. And I didn't recognize that. But um, I'm, I'm really struggling, and I've been sharing it pretty openly lately in my job. But, you know, as the president of Clinton Hyde, i got to stand up and say things. And our community is really toxic right now. And, you know, we have men hurting people. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But it's not just men. We have our people hurting people. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, there's this thing going on in our community where people are really deciding who's worth healing and who's not. Um, and I, I really don't agree with that. I think we all need to be healing. Yeah. And you have some people who have done some horrible things. I'm not saying bring them back yeah. into the community and hold them up and put them on a pedestal like, oh, you're so great. You should be a clan leader. No, you should never be a leader. You lost that right. Yeah. But I'm going to hold you up to heal and be a better person because you're still here in our community. Yeah. And if we ostracize and if we put them down and if we don't have some empathy for them, they're going to go back to what they did in the first place. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm all about accountability and I lean into those hard things. 
And uh, I think people misunderstand what I'm saying when yeah. they, when I say we got to hold them up. That's a cultural value. I'm not right. saying put them on a pedestal. Yeah. I'm saying that we have to be there to walk that journey with them. You know, I went to a men's healing group and every guy there kind of shared the same stories as I did. And, and then one guy shared and whew, it sucked air out of the room. And, you know, he had hurt kids. Yeah. And my first instinct was pretty bad. And I could see in looking around that room, I'm like, everybody had that similar feeling. But we let them talk. We got through it, you know, and it was uncomfortable. And I left there and asked the person I went with, like, well, what do you think of that? And he goes, it was really, really hard to sit there and look at him and, you know, have to hear that. But he said, uh, the one thing, though, is I thought, well, he's in here doing the work and not out there hurting anybody. Yeah. And I'm trying to hold on to that because it's hard to say everybody's worth it. Yeah. But you can't say that if you don't mean it. Yeah. Also, you know, I guess just to, you know, push back a little bit on that. I do think that there was a point, even in our traditional cultures, where somebody had demonstrated that they were unwilling to rehabilitate or you know what I mean they're unwilling to do the work and so they've demonstrated by their actions that they're not fit to live in society anymore you know what I mean and so then they would be first ostracized you know what I mean like it would just kind of like ramp up you know what I mean like you're you're giving people every opportunity to fix the problem and to change themselves but if they don't you're gone you know what I mean and that's where the banishment comes in right you know and like back then banishment was basically a death sentence because you couldn't I mean like you couldn't even yeah you couldn't even go to the next village because you would go to the next village because Yuyuk was like the law of the land for us, you know? And so like, if you show up to another village and you're by yourself, you know what I mean? They're immediately going to be suspicious and word is eventually going to make it, you know? And so once you're, once you're banished like that, I mean, trying to survive up north by yourself, I mean, you make one mistake and you're dead. So essentially it was a death sentence, but they were just letting the environment do it rather than themselves. Very similar to what I do with spiders. So, <laughs> uh, so. Well, I totally agree with you. I'm just wondering at what point do you say there, cause this person showed up. Yeah. And that's where I struggle. Cause yes. I'm not sure either. I don't have the answer and it re- you know, I'll be honest, it repulses me. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, they're here trying or they're out there not and doing the things. So I, I agree. I don't know at what point you say, okay, they're not trying anymore and they need to be banished. I yeah. don't know. And I don't know who decides that. Yeah. I, well, I think that we used to have protocol and things for stuff like that that we don't anymore. And we also don't really have any way to truly re- rehabilitate people. Just because the Western system doesn't do it. Like, no. it actually makes them worse, you know? No. And that, like, it, it certainly isn't trying to solve the problem at all, you no. know? And I'm extremely sympathetic to that. So, like, my stepdad, um, you know, he went to jail for molesting my sister. And he was in jail all throughout, you know, my teen up into uh, adult years. And it was really hard to um, even just be associated with it, even though, you know what I mean? Like, I felt dirty, even though I wasn't even the one that did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just happened in the same house. And happened in my family and like of course people knew about it and there's so much shame and and all that gets wrapped up and yeah i you know i've shared my story too um and i think that's why you know for me 
That's why I started self-medicating. Yeah. You know, that's why I turned to substance abuse. And, you know, you got to lean into it. you got to have the hard conversations. And I've done a lot of work on myself, both yeah. mentally and physically. And, you know, I just uh, even shared on social media in the last, like, eight years, I've lost a third of my body yeah. weight. Why did I have that body weight? I was trying to insulate myself from the world and from hurt. Yeah. And it's hard to wrestle with that. And I've come a long ways, and I hadn't had an anxiety attack in over 10 years. Wow. We started doing men's healing work, and I had my first anxiety attack. Yeah. It's not easy. It's, you know, but do we shy away from it? Do we? I've, I've had to learn empathy. Yeah. I've had to learn sympathy. And, uh, you know, I don't have the answers, but I'm willing to have the conversations. Yeah. You know, that's all I can do and all I can say as a leader is, okay, maybe I'm wrong, maybe, you know, they're right. Let's have the conversation, let's lean into it though, because if we don't, it just gets worse. Yeah, agreed. And we have, a, I mean, I, we still have a lot of hard conversations coming ahead of us too, just because it really does, like, I, it does feel like we're in the middle of a resurgence, but it really does feel like we're just at the beginning-ish you know what I mean? Like it didn't just start yesterday. You know what I mean? We're still very much in the beginning part, and like moving forward. I mean, that, like that's what I was saying. Like when I, I, I that's why I was talking about like the men's house is that I was reminding people that specifically with the kajgi, you know that that the men that I would be working with would not be like the perfect upright men. Right. You know what I mean? Like like in order for this to succeed and in order for it to serve the people that it has to serve, those men have to be part of it too. Right. But you just have to kind of like kind of like work around it, right? Like say, you know, say somebody does, you know, has like child molesting in their like record or whatever, like obviously you're going to be much more safer with that person. Cause it was even the same with my dad, you know, it really mm -hmm. hurt his feelings, but I was like, yeah, sorry, dad, kids don't spend the night over here. Yeah. You know, but we, we had a relationship at the end of our life. He, he never had a relationship with my sister. She never forgave him that. I don't, I don't blame her. Right. You know, but me and him had a relationship and a huge part of that was just like, honestly, just like me forgiving him and also like me understanding the things that happened in his life. You know, like he was one of the boarding school era too. And that he mm -hmm. also um, was molested by priests, you know, when he was a young man and things like that, you know? And so like, you could just kind of like see this path, right? right? Of like understanding without excusing it, without, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that it's okay, you know, right. I mean? but you can kind of like see how these things happen and see how we've gotten to the place that we've gotten. And like recognizing, you know, that a lot of the things that we see weren't really part of, like, you know, they're not part of our society. Like certainly we had the same problems, right? You know, but not on the scale that we do now. I, I think that's for me, I don't excuse anybody. Yeah. You know, they take accountability, they do the work, you know, I'll let them in my circle. Yeah. But I don't excuse, I don't trust, uh, you know, it's kind of that trust but verify, if it, whatever. But yeah. And that's totally fair, right? Like, mm -hmm. just because, I mean, I guess, you know, I hate to talk about this just because I know, like, like, I can just envision the people that I'm talking about, you know yeah. what I mean? But like, yeah, I mean, oh. just at some point, you just got to recognize, you know, that, that the things that you've done and the actions that you've done, you know, have put you in a place where you, you know what I mean? Like, it, you just have to, like, kind of work your way back up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is. But. Well, you know, I never have these conversations without seeing faces. Yeah. That's the hard part. But for my own healing, for me to get better, I had to forgive, yeah. to move on. Uh, it's not excusing anybody at all. Yeah. But I found 
the biggest person I had to forgive was me. Yeah. You know, for things I didn't do, for things, you know, that happened that I didn't con control. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've just adopted this core concept that I'm not perfect at it. Yeah. You know, I might screw up today in how I treat people, my interactions with people, but every day I'm going to try to be better than I was yesterday. Yeah. You know, um, and that's something I, a core concept I lock on to. So, so Warren, one of the things that I'm excited about is I started this podcast to have conversations and to kind of lean into some of these things even. You know, I want to talk about good things, but good things can come out of this, right, yeah. if we choose to. You started a podcast. Can you want to tell me about that? Yeah, so uh, it's called the Arctica Podcast, uh, like the tagline's perspective from the north. Um, they were, I was doing some writing for work, and, uh, you know, I'm a good writer, but it takes me a long time. You know, they, they, they'd seen some other stuff that I'd written, and they wanted me to do some writing for them. And I was like, yeah, okay, so that, that, I know that was really good, but, you know, that took me six months being babysat by an editor to write that, you know, mm -hmm. and whereas talking is much easier. Um, they wanted to give me a platform to basically just talk about like indigenous philosophy, especially that, you know, that's the thing that became most interesting to me. Like I actually never technically graduated. Um, I have two classes, uh, probably one, I can petition one for sure, but I dropped out right before I was supposed to graduate from UAA because I wanted to pursue my own work, um, you know, studying and reading about, you know, what I started calling Northern philosophy, right? So, you know, I studied Western philosophy in school, studied a little bit of Eastern philosophy on my own, um, you know, but then I was like, okay, so like there's this whole Northern philosophy, you know, and it's the circumpolar North. It's not just Alaska. It's like, uh, like everywhere above the Arctic Circle and around like the circumpolar North, you can see a lot of like similarities in the way that people engage with and understand the world. You know, and so like, and, and, and a lot of that's like kind of like rooted in the environment itself, right? Mm -hmm. There's a, used to be this thing called environmental determinism. Um, basically, it was just the idea that like the kind of cultures and people that you'll find in certain places, it's kind of like dictated by the weather, you know, and you can kind of see a little bit of that. I mean, certainly like Clinkett and Yupik culture are very different, you know, and I remember the very first time I came to Clinkett country, I was just amazed by how tall your trees were, just how rich the land was, like, mm -hmm. just like food everywhere. And it's not, I mean, there's food everywhere up north too, right? But it's not like here. It, you know, no offense, it doesn't seem to be in the abundance and it's not as visibly obvious. Yeah, no, and then it, like even the trees alone, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's such a rich place and you can see like there's like our cultures are very different, you know, and and it's it's great, though, you know, like we really like there's very there's very deep similarities, though, too. Right. So like getting into the philosophy partly like the kind of like the spirit based ontology is very much like the same all throughout, but it, it manifests differently, right? Right. And this is like, you know, I mean, I know you heard me like tease about it, whatever, just because I've got so many close, like Clinkett and Hyda friends, we like tease each other a lot, you okay. know, just because it's, there's, we're so different, yeah. you know, but the same. Yeah, I, I remember, so my dad's part Anungan, and I remember going to Edgecombe and meeting Aleut friends, and they, some of them were actually like, we would do these school outings and go into the woods, and they were terrified to go too far in the woods because they didn't have that. Yeah. The trees were so tall. I remember this girl looking up at the trees and going, so big, so yeah. big. And just like, oh, no, this is great. We're safe. This is fine. And just my being born in it, 
this is home, this is my safety. Yeah. That realization, and it took me a bit to understand, because I was like, what the heck's wrong with you? Like, why aren't you just thriving in this and loving it and running through the woods like we are? Yeah. And they're terrified. All right, get us back to the beach. Same thing happened to my mom, too, when we moved, uh, we moved out to the valley, and she just could never get comfortable with the trees. But I did. You know, I mean, I grew up mostly in Nome, but like sixth grade, we moved out to Palmer. So I spent like the second half of my childhood in the valley, you know, and that's just the mountains and yeah. glacial streams and woods and things like that. And I, I got like super used to it, you know. So I remember spending time at Duke and, um, <clears throat> you know, being in North Carolina and coming back and I felt so despondent almost being away from the trees and from the mountains and all the things, you know, the ocean, mm -hmm. the way it is here that... I, I damn near kissed the ground when I got back. Yeah. yeah. It sure is nice to be home. I mean, yeah, even around Hooper Bay, yeah, it's funny because it's like there's there's a like it's uh, really muddy around there, so it kind of stinks. But I always say it's like it's like a good stink. You yeah. know, like it just like it reminds you of like you know a familiar familiar smell. Yeah. Well, it's like here you can smell it at low tide. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we always all oh, the low tide, and, and it does stink. Yeah. But it is that good stink. It is that good stink. You kind of just yeah. breathe it in and exhale it out, and it's so good. You smell the salt air. Like, I can't be away, and the salt air is very important. Yeah. It definitely smells different around here than it did in Nome, though. That's much for sure. Just because our load, you know, we didn't, again, we don't have as much abundance right. as you All guys do. sea life. We were talking, what were we talking about the differences in cultures for, though? Oh, you were talking about the circum. Polar. Yeah, that, okay, yeah, and so, yeah, and that's, getting back to it was that, like, I just really felt like we had our own philosophy, and I, all Indigenous people do, right, you know, but it's not, like, we don't have, like, a Plato and an Aristotle, right, especially because our, our, I mean, we do, right, but, like, because we come from oral cultures, right, you know, and that, so we didn't write stuff down in that way but all the knowledge and philosophy is passed down anyway you know through stories and through the values and like you know, all all the different ways that it's passed through and like you can really like derive like a really complete philosophy from all that right you know and it's been it's been super interesting to me like this year has been the biggest one um for me just because like it was the year that i really kind of internalized um the work that I've been doing, you know, like um, there was two things within what I call Northern philosophy. Like one of them's like this idea called radical acceptance, which I changed, which I, no, I'm sorry, which I need to change because I guess it means something in like 12 step circles, <laughs> you know, and I didn't mean it that way, but I meant like kind of like radically accepting ideas, you know, and this one was specifically just like radically accepting the ideas of our ancestors, right? You know, not coming at it with like a Western skepticism and going like, oh, that's just some woo-woo stuff. It couldn't possibly be true. And just like radically accepting all of it. And then like as after doing that, like I really feel like I understand the world better than I ever have before. You know, it like makes so much more sense to me, right? Like right. in the in that article that I wrote for Patagonia, I was talking a little bit about even the way that the Inuit uh conceptualize the human being. And it's not the same as like the Western. You know what I mean? You read like Freud or something like that or whoever the, the people are in that thing, or like the the id, the ego, super ego, like you know, whatever ways that they separate the human right. being into and we have our own too, you know, and it's like you, you have your soul. That's the essence of who you are. Right. 
Um, there's your body. That's your vehicle for expression in the world. And then there's your name. And like I talk about the mind, I think the mind actually might be associated with the name. Um, but I'm kind of like still learning, you know, like I'm very much a novice still, um, you know, but I have a bunch of the fundamentals down. What's interesting to me is you said we don't have like Socrates or Plato. Yeah. But for our indigenous cultures, yours like mine is oral. Yep. And we don't think of ourselves as an individual. We think of ourselves in a clan sense as a collective. So everything that's been passed down, you know, with them, they they sign their name to things. Yeah. So that's how you know who they are, right? And they wrote, you know, libraries worth of stuff. Ours has been passed down from the beginning of time. And it, I think it only gets richer and expands more with that addition of knowledge from generation to generation. But yeah. that's why we don't know of the great, you know, so-and-so who did it because it was just passed down yeah. and it belonged to all of us, not the individual. Um, I would like to remind people that Big Daddy Socrates of the Western tradition, he didn't believe that things should be written down. Um, he called it an advanced form of forgetting. And I really appreciated wow. that because I do think that most of the things that we write down just get kind of put, tucked away somewhere and never to be read again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because he just like, you know, and I think this is what we believe, too, is that like there's knowledge that if it's that important, then it should be transferred from person to person, generation to generation, just held in your mind. So is that why you started the podcast? Yeah. Because that's why I did was to start sharing these conversations and start building off conversations. Yeah. And with kind of two audiences in mind, you know, one, you know, recognizing that a lot of us, probably most of us are reconnecting. Right. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And like, there's a lot of knowledge, you know, that I'm gleaning even from like colonial histories and stuff that isn't common anymore. When I was like looking for certain kinds of knowledge, I was even like calling my aunts and uncles and I like asking them questions about things like the distinctions between the named and the unnamed universe and stuff. And they didn't know that. Um, and that makes sense. I mean, this is actually speci very specifically the kind of knowledge that the, the missionaries saw as, as threatening. You know what I mean? Like they, they wanted to replace all this knowledge with like Christian knowledge, right? Um, and they were largely successful at it in a lot of ways, you know, but like they threw the baby out with the bathwater with a lot of that. Because like even with like the Kajki, for instance, like I said, like this was the place where the center of spirituality, but it was also, like I said, it was the place of commerce. It was the place of community. It was a place, you know, like it had so many other roles. And when they get rid of these things, they get rid of all these other things with it. Right. But yeah, our, like the indigenous philosophy, like it has just so much to teach. Right. Like, so even going back to that distinction, the, the logical consequence of the way that we think, you know, construct the human being would be that you're you are not your actions right you're the originator of them and you can be held accountable for them but you are you are not your actions right, right. Um, you are not your body your body is your vehicle for expression in this world and is very much an important part of like who you are but it's not the entirety of who you are right and you think like like in the modern world too you can kind of see it like what kind of the materialism physicalism is that people very much are associate themselves with and like kind of like think that they're their body but that'd be like a category error in our worldview you know what i mean like you're fundamentally a soul that your body's just your vehicle for expression in this world and then like things like your mind too right um you know you you you're the one that co-creates your mind but like you're not your thoughts right so like i used to suffer from a lot of uh what do they call those thoughts intrusive thoughts yeah 
you know, and they really bothered me because it's like, why am I thinking these horrible, horrible thoughts? You know what I mean? But like, but they just come. You know, I'm not like summoning them or whatever. I used to have this really bad one where every time I'd pick up an Ulu, like literally immediately, like would visualize me like slashing my own throat with it, you know, and just every single time, you know, and it, it's gone now and I'm really thankful for that. But like, even just like the way of like understanding the human being, I think is, is healthier for people because then you recognize that you are not your thoughts. Right. You are not your actions. You are not these things. You know what I mean? Like you're not your job. You're not a felon. You know what I mean? Like you're something more fundamental than these, even though these things may be associated with you very strongly and you might be the originator of them, they are not what you fundamentally are. Right. And that's the thing that can be recycled, right? This is what I'm saying. Like, you know, even getting back to that is that you don't just throw away a soul right. if you don't have to. Right. Like it's the most, yeah. I, I love that so much. Um, that's kind of what I was trying to get to your... You're very much smarter than I am. Uh, you said it in a very philosophical way that I'm trying to reach to myself because I, at the core, I believe that, but I yeah. don't, haven't given it that thought that you have, and I love hearing it. Um, you know, I take accountability and responsibility for my actions, and I and I believe we can choose how to be. Yeah. You know, I think there there are some bad folks in the world they can choose to be better. You can choose to be bad, you know? When I was struggling with addiction and kind of made that promise and deal with myself and creator, it was that I'm gonna be a better person. I'm yeah. gonna do better. And psh, I struggle with that every single day, but I struggle with it, Yeah. right? Which yeah. I think is important. It is, um, you know, I'm, see what am I currently like maybe like 40 days sober or something right now you know but it's like when I talk about it you know I say that like like I never give up on it even mm -hmm. when I'm dead drunk I'm committed to sobriety yeah you know like it just because this is how I do like how I succeed in everything you just never give up you know like you got to keep trying you know and like I <laughs> so funny because it's like I for many many years I was uh, all sober for and a lot of my friends would like look up to me for support with sobriety and things like that. And one of my friends would drunk dial me all the time just to talk to me about things. And, you know, I'd talk to him and in our last conversation, I remember I, I was very annoyed with him because it was like a lot of like really late phone calls, you know, but I felt like I had to answer them just because my friend. Mm -hmm. So I kind of chewed him out and I was like, you know, I was like, you're never going to become the man that you're meant to be if you don't quit drinking. You know, and then fucking like a year later, I'm stuck taking my own advice, right. you know, like, because yeah. that's really, you know, and like, it's, it's important just because I do really feel like that I'll never be able to achieve these things because I do the same thing I think that you do. Like, I, I know I'm self-medicating with alcohol, mm -hmm. you know, and I know what I get out of it. Whether, it's like, yeah, it's whatever it is, right? It yeah. can be relationships. It can yeah. be food. It can be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be anything. Yeah. What you have to do is work on and finding what that is. And. You know, for me, I'm really, I'm probably too facetious. You know, I'm always joking and, and leaning into that too much. I used to joke around because when I got clean off drugs, I didn't drink for a while and then I started drinking a lot because I was still doing the self-medicating. Yeah. To the point where I really had to put in some rules in my life that I still drink to this day, but I don't do it you know, two days in a row. I don't, yeah, you know, I have all these rules. Yeah. Don't do it when I'm angry. Last night I was really angry <laughs> and I wanted to come home and have a drink. 
and I did not. Yeah. I drank about three Coke Zeros and went to bed, you know, because I was like, oh. and I, so I used to joke, I always keep my wagon low to the ground, the fall doesn't hurt and it's yeah. easy to get back on. But it was that easy to get back on point I was trying to emphasize to people. Yeah. Like, hey, you can screw up or, you know, maybe it's not even screwing up, but you can, you can decide, hey, okay, I fell off the wagon, but I am going to get back on and I'm going to keep getting back on. Yeah. And I have changed my life to the point where now I have finally gotten to a point where I can socially have a drink and I don't need another. Yeah. And I didn't think that day would ever come. And I don't know that that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. You know, yeah, but I, mean, I, I find myself having these conversations a lot with friends and family who are struggling. And I'm like, man, just give yourself the grace. Just, and I used to be the same way. And, you know, a little over 10 years ago, I lost my cousin, my best friend to a heroin overdose. And my last words to him were, you know what? You are a selfish son of a bitch. Yeah. You know, because he just wanted to get high. And I don't blame myself for him getting high or this or that. What I do blame myself is my last words to one of my favorite people were pretty mean. Yeah. And they didn't need to be. Yeah. And I don't ever want that again. So awkwardly, I tell people in my life, friends, whatever, I love you. Yeah. And some people are like, well, I love you too. Like, you know, they don't know how to respond to that. Because I'm so overtly yeah. with it. Like, if you're in my orb and, you know, Warren, I'm going to tell you I yeah. love you. Yeah. You know, and I, I got no shame in that. I just don't, God only knows what's going to happen when we leave each other. And I want our words to be good. Yeah. No, Dreed, like, uh, before this, I mean, you were talking about, you know, like, love is the solution. And it's really funny because, I mean, that's even after all of the many years of, like, thinking and writing and reading and stuff like that. I mean, that's basically the my solution, too. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, the wrote a poem about it at the end of a thing, and it was, I'm going to screw it up. And it's funny because I, I, I can memorize other people's poems, but, like, the actual ones that I write myself, I don't have memorized for some reason. But it was something like, what was it? like armored in love and girded in truth, like who could stand before you, right? You know, and like, because like love is so powerful. And like, I think, especially in America and in the West that we have like a very naive kind of childlike view of love, you know, mm -hmm. where it's just like this super romantic, you know, all about, you know, feeling good and whatnot. Real love is hard. You know, real love takes work, mm -hmm. you know, and real love is not always that kind of pretty thing. You know what I mean? Like when you're showing yourself love, how do you do it? Sometimes it's hard. You know, sometimes you have to be hard with yourself to show love. So love's not easy. You know, love's. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's much more it's multidimensional. You know, it's like love, love is my answer. You know, I also coined and I, I didn't coin it, but I subscribe to the um, adage that our culture heals. Yeah because it did me. It's where I turned to when I needed it. And I, I tell this story a lot. I was going through counseling and my counselor kind of at the end of the session says to me, so can you stand in front of a mirror and say you love yourself? And it incited me. It just pissed me off. And I was like, yeah, of course I can. She hands me a mirror and says, okay, do it. And I had the most outwardly aggressive response that I've ever had in my life. And I threw the mirror down, broke. 
And so this is, you know, stupid and I'm out of here, you know, paraphrasing. And I was like, well, I guess I'm done with that counselor and I need a new counselor. And a couple of days later, they called me, so Wednesday at 10.30? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, damn. And, you know, we started leaning into that. And it took me a long time and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it for a long time because I didn't like who I was. I yeah. didn't love myself for sure. And I, as I, you know, got to my heaviest weights ever, got super unhealthy. It was when I finally kind of had that unlocked that like, you don't have to think you're perfect or, or like, you know, love yourself in that perfect sense. But I started to like who I was. I, I realized I treated people pretty good. I treated people how I wanted to. Those were good things. I started leaning into the good things and got to the point where to the, today I can say, I'm not perfect. I don't like everything about myself, but I love me. Yeah. And to even now sit here in front of you and say that, there's no way I could have said that, yeah. you know, 15 years ago for sure. Yeah. One of my good friends, um, he's a a Catholic guy, and we, we talk a lot about philosophy and theology together, and um, we were talking about, uh, again, back on the subject of love, you know, and I think even from, like, the big biblical perspective, you know, that loving yourself comes before loving other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it, to me, it makes so much sense, right? Like, because it's going, like, because if, if you can truly love yourself, because it's like, you know, like, I'm, I know myself, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I know every terrible thought, every terrible thing, all of my history, you know, and so I'm going, like, there's reasons why I don't like myself, yeah, right? You know, yeah. like, but like, it's funny because like, I think if there was somebody else that was like me, I probably would, you know, be more, it'd be easier for, for me to love them for who they are. Yeah. Warts and all, yep. you know, like just because that's just how it is, you know, there's no. I use the analogy, you know, when you're on the plane and they say, you know, if something happens to put the uh, air thing on yourself before the person next yep. to you, if it's your kid or whatever. It, that's love, right? You yeah. gotta love yourself first. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, and especially if you can love yourself, knowing all these things about yourself, it makes it easier to like love people, even despite their flaws too. Because, like, see, we know we have them. When you talk about the empathy and the sympathy, it's easier for me to extend them because I've extended it to myself. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, their warts, their flaws don't scare me as much as my own yeah so i'm like yeah i I can love that yeah so yeah so where do you you're you got your second uh podcast out who are you talking to what what are the conversations yeah um as of right now i mean it's it's kind of i feel like alaska is such a great place to do a podcast because it's like any number of people that i could do an episode with just because there's so many interesting people that live in our state yeah you know, and it's just like an interesting state in general. And um, so I'm inviting, you know, some folks on just to talk about um, culture and things like that. You know, indigenous guests to talk about it from our perspective, but also inviting on some uh, non-native guests to talk about it from their perspective, too. Um, some of the earliest work that I did was on culture itself, um, just because I wanted to understand the thing that I was trying to preserve, Yeah. you know. Cause like we would talk a lot about culture, like even within our community. Right. And then a lot of times I'd feel like we were using the same word to talk about different things, which kind of makes sense. Right. Like cause culture encompasses such a broad category that of course it would make sense that you would use kind of like the same word to talk about like different aspects of the same thing. But I was like wondering myself, like, is it just, 
like a style of beadwork? Is it just the language? Is it just the way that we prepare food? Is it the fact that I eat seal and you don't? Not or not you. Yeah, you know no, what I mean. Like no, you know, okay. people people down in the states and whatnot. But you know. Right. Yeah, and like and like really came to the like conclusion like no, that's that's not that's not like the most important part about it. You know, like there, there's fundamental assumptions about the world and like things like meta narratives and things like that 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 really form the basis of the belief system. Um, sorry, I'm talking about this and that made me forget why I'm talking about it. I, I was talking about your podcast, but... Uh. Oh, well, yeah. So to get back, right, that, you know, every single one of us has a, a set of assumptions and a, you, that you're operating from, sets of values, a scheme of information. You, you can't not have one, right? Everybody has one. Mm-hmm. So even white people have one, right? And, oh, yeah. and that, that scheme of information is, you know, is your culture, right? You know, and that like, but really like needing to understand like what the foundational element of this culture was and was it different and was it worth preserving? Right. You know, and of course I obviously came to the conclusion that it was worth preserving, but I really like was asking myself that question because it was causing me a lot of existential angst, you know, and like really feeling like I was like fighting against forces that I was never going to win against, you know? So I was like, is this worth it? You know? And of course it's totally worth it. But like the reason why I want to invite some of these guests on is just for them to talk about their culture. Right. Like once you give people the framework in order for them to understand that they have one, then they can tell you what it is. You know, when I give my cultural trainings, it's the first thing we do. You know, I give them the definitions. I tell them the framework I say I give them examples like, okay, so this is what it is, you know, and this is how it manifests. And then assign them to go back to their lives and spend the next like two or three weeks just observing your culture and then come back and we're going to talk about it. Are you asked to do like cultural um Oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Like DEI? Like cultural awareness or, you know, I get asked all the time by specifically like state people, like, hey, we need to do some kind of cultural awareness training or, yeah, you know, and I always refer them to like First Alaskans. Do you do that? Yeah, I do. Um, mine's a little bit different though. Um, my, I, I actually generally recommend that my training comes before it because it, it, it actually, um, it provides a better foundation and, and goes really well with other trainings. You know what I mean? Like my, like my training wouldn't replace like a DEI training or like another training that goes into more in depth about culture, but I'm just getting them to understand what culture is in the first place. So then that way, cause like people are always like, like we, uh, my friend Stacy and I gave a class to, uh, the OLE, it's like a UAA, uh, alum program. And it was supposed to be on Alaska native culture. And instead, the approach that we took was we started by just teaching them what culture was in general, teaching them to understand their own culture with the idea of going that like, look, like you're not going to understand this other culture until you understand your own first. Then once you understand your own culture, then all these other things I'm going to tell you are going to make way more sense. Right. I got to share a story because. So the word culture, you know, everybody in Alaska, Mm -hmm. hears the word culture and they look to natives. Right. I was on the school board and at every meeting at the beginning, we'd go over a piece of board policy from like AESB, the Alaska Association of School Boards. And every time the word culture came up, I was the only native on the board. And every time the word culture came up, they'd all look at me. And it went on for quite a while. And it's kind of funny because I'm a person who usually calls things out right away. But for some reason, I didn't. And it took like a year or two as being on this board and getting comfortable. And, and these were people I loved. They were wonderful people. People don't yeah. serve on school boards usually unless they have the best intentions, right? Um, 
So every time this would happen, they would look at me. And finally, one time I just kind of interrupted and I said, you guys know the word culture isn't just native culture, right? Like it's, you know, us as a group in this room, we have our own culture. Fishermen have a culture, loggers yeah. have a culture, people who group together, that's the culture. And I'll never forget this lady who I loved so much smiled really big and she raised her hand up and her finger and she's like i have culture <laughs> like is it some big revelation that you know everybody has a culture what is that is it it can be hereditary it could be social you know yeah i was like i want to hand on webster's yeah. dictionary and say here's culture i think it can get confusing for people too because like that's what i talk about in like the trainings too is that say you know like we we use the, the word culture in so many different ways even within america you know so we have things like we have gun culture rape culture consumer culture native culture what's the line between all these things you know what i mean like how are they related you mm. know and they totally are, but it's just that not every culture is comprehensive. You know what I mean? Like gamer culture doesn't tell you how to live your life or whatever. Right, you know what I mean? Like, right. it, it, like it's only within like a very s small domain that that gamer culture, like whatever culture you have applies to. Right. You know, it's like logging culture, you know, might apply to loggers and the bars that they live in and the places that they work, you know, but yeah. not much outside of that. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have like, a lot of utility. Lo no. You know, logger culture will tell you how to interact within that society and like what's acceptable and what's not. But it's not going to tell you what's right or wrong no. or, you know, how to live your life or how to understand yourself or anything like that. Right. And so, like, not every culture is comprehensive like that. I think our, pretty much all of our cultures that I'm aware of are comprehensive in that sense that it will literally tell you everything if you need it to. But you don't always need it to. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like from the basic cultural values, the values don't necessarily dictate what you do. They just guide it. You know, and yes. so, like, our cultural values could guide us in space. You know what I mean? Like, we're five million light years away and having to make a decision, your cultural values can still guide that decision even out there, yeah. right? But like, yeah, I don't know, getting them to understand that, I think a lot of it has to do with that, you know, awareness is not very high on the hierarchy of American values, if it's on there at all. Because right. I, I do think, you know, and this is something that I learned, like, because I'm 100% very American in so many ways. And one of the moments that I realized this the most was, I think it was in... Bahrain and we were at a bar there and it was a locals bar so like all Arab people and we were 100% the loudest rudest most self-unaware people in there and it really got me to thinking I was like I wonder if like a lack of self-awareness might be an American trait you know what I mean like like we purposely cultivate a lack of self-awareness you know what I mean you know in America that the root of our issues are primarily cultural you know not structural I mean when you all the issues that we face in America really has a lot to do with that our, our culture is still very colonial. You know, it's rooted in um, exploitation. It's rooted in extraction. It's rooted in violence, right? You know, and our culture now, like, it, it, it even encourages to exploit ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, when you look at the, th the issues that we face, like, even with the Supreme Court, right? You can try to create structures that keep people from exploiting it, but if you have a culture that's exploitative in nature, and that like our culture tries to exploit every possible thing, even the Supreme Court, you know, yeah. e like everything, you know, what I mean, we exploit everything until it can't be exploited anymore, and that being one of our culture values kind of undermines everything else. You know what I mean? Like you're you're constantly exploiting and extracting, and you're never giving. You know, you're never 
like letting things be in balance, you know? And so as long as our culture stays the way it is in America, like we're never, the, the structural problems are just structural, you know, like you can change the structure. So for instance, we could expand the court, mm-hmm. right? That just kicks the can down the road though. Cause the same structural problems are because they can just pack a bigger court. That, that's you know? my, like one of my huge pet peeves, right? Rather than addressing the issues, they just change the, the game. Yeah. You know, fix the issue. Yeah. Adding more judges doesn't fix the issue. And really, that's just creating problems for somebody else. Yeah. These ones are aligned with you. Others aren't, you know, yada, yada. Warren, we've uh, been talking for over an hour now, okay. which is pretty awesome because it feels like 10 minutes. Uh, we haven't even touched on a few of the things I wanted yeah. to talk to you about. Um, and I and I sure don't want to ask you to fly back to Juno for the next conversation, but I would love to talk to you about some of your travels, world experiences, especially your, your ideas on Guardians. Um, so I'm going to invite you back for another one. And just uh, maybe in closing, you want to tell us a little bit about where you hope to go next, what you're doing next? Yeah, um, this year, actually, like, I'm hoping next year actually to not do any travel and just to stay in Alaska, um, especially because this year I got to do so much traveling that I'm kind of over it, you know, but I got, I, it was an amazing year. Yeah. You know, even this most recent trip, you know, we, we went to Canada and uh, up, up north, uh, northern Baffin Island to Pond Inlet and visited with our guardians up there. The Nautiksuktit, I think, is out of Pond Inlet there, and it was it was amazing, you know, but all of the rest of my travels this year will, will hopefully probably all be in Alaska and with the intention of, like, bringing this work, which I know you guys are already doing down here. Yeah. Which is why you guys really haven't heard a lot from me. You know, like, within Alaska Venture Fund, I'm assigned to Guardians, but it's kind of like right. I'm looking at it, it's like, all right, well, these guys got their thing going on. You know, like, I'm happy to, like, you know, whatever, but, like, there's a lot of other areas in Alaska sure. that don't have anything quite as robust and they don't have things like Clinkett and Haida, right? You know, yeah. which is, it, it, it's really nice to, you know, I don't know, it's it's great that all the individual tribes have their own, like whatever, but there's something to be said of speaking with a unified voice and like moving unified mm-hmm. like that, you know? And so, you know, we're trying to bring some of this work to different parts of the state. Yeah, well, that, that's funny because you said earlier, well, I don't really have a job, but you do work for Alaska Ventures yeah. Fund. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't have a job. Uh, I actually just started working about a year ago. Yeah. So. No, I, I love that, and I definitely want to talk more about that. And in my work hat, we definitely should talk more because we don't want to be doing anything in a silo. Yeah. You know, we're going to learn just as much as from sharing, you know, and so we're very open to that. And it's, it's so powerful. I mean, going back to earlier in a conversation when we were talking about the, the First Nations Futures program, one of the biggest benefits of that program is the exchange of knowledge. Yeah. You know, like that we have all these indigenous people from all across the world come together, you know, and realize that we, are, we share very similar experiences and that we have all kinds of different ways of addressing the issue. And they're different and we learn from each other. Not our, our, our contexts aren't the same, but a lot of times the strategy can work, you know, Absolutely. and so it's like great, like... Yeah. So I've never participated in it like you did, but I did. I was invited to several to, you know, um, participate and judge the the projects and things like that. And so I got to hang out. And I've always been jealous as a leader. Uh, I've been an elected leader my entire adult life. Yeah. I never got those opportunities. And so I'm always like, 
I want to do that. And Liz and others were like, but you've already done it. Yeah. And this is for people who haven't. So come and do this way. And I'm always a little jealous. Yeah. Like, okay. I still get to go, but it's not as fun. And this, this last time I went, uh, I just went earlier this year. Um, but this time I actually just went as the personal guest of my friend. Um, he's the uh, chief of the t- uh, Tuahiwi down there in the South Island. Mm. And uh, it was just, it was so much fun to go down there and just be with them and to just hang out with no agenda. Um, you know, but even without having to participate, I totally did because like, like I said, the exchange knowledge is just, it, it can't be beat, you know, well, like, like exchanges, I think are something that some people don't like funding, Yeah. but they're, they're so valuable, but like the tangibles that come out of them are a little intangible, you know what I mean? But like, they're there hard because in their context, everybody's like, Oh, you get to go on a trip to Hawaii. Oh, you yeah. get to go to New Zealand and they don't understand like, no, you do real work. Yeah. And it's awful awful sometimes that you know whether the time change everything um you know we're gonna go to hawaii in december to do an exchange and learn about their schools because we want to build schools yeah so you know i'm sure people will be like oh look at them going to hawaii but we have a very tight schedule we're gonna be island hopping and besides a couple cool meals it's gonna be a lot of work yeah. You know. It makes so much more sense to do things that way just because it's like when you learn, especially from people that have very similar histories and context to you about what they're doing, it can save you a lot of time and effort Absolutely. from making mistakes that you don't have to miss it, make. Yeah. So. Well, Warren, I really appreciate you joining us today and hope we can have another conversation again because um, I'm completely fascinated by you and I, I love meeting and talking to people yep. far smarter than me. Uh, I don't know if that's fair to say. But I think man. it's pretty fair to say, but my friend, but um, no, I love these conversations. This is, this has been very cool for me. And I can, I always judge Sam a little bit because he might not voice up, but I watch his face and he's been completely fascinated today. It's just been a, <clears throat> as usual, it's been a great conversation and, um, yeah, there's just so much positivity and healing, and I, I just have uh, I just had a blast listening. So thank cool. you. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So thanks for joining us, Warren. Um, thanks for those who uh, listen to our podcast. This is going to be our first uh, season two, episode one, and we've got some exciting episodes coming up. Uh, I'm gonna. Definitely be reaching out to Warren to do one. I'm assuming probably online because uh, might have to do Zoom next time. Yeah, yeah. But I did, I just in person, so you know. Oh, I love it. Way way more. Love it. Yeah, uh, great way to kick it off. Yeah. <laughs> so this is great, Warren. I'm a huge fan of yours. Keep doing what you're doing, okay. brother. You know. And you know, be good to yourself and take one day at a time too. Yep. Yep. Thank you. So love you, man. Yeah, love you too. All right, folks, that was opening the box of knowledge. We'll talk to you next time.